Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to have you along here this New Year's Eve. Uh, 2023 is very quickly coming to a close. Uh, And it's my wonderful privilege, while Steve is off in the Bahamas or somewhere, uh, to have my last sermon with you guys, my last Sunday with you. And it is an absolute privilege. Today's passage uh, is a brilliant one. I think it's a fantastic one as we look forward to 2024. Uh, As Steve sometimes says, the kind of the wheel alignment for the Christian faith. And this is one of those types of passages. So before I begin, how about I pray, and then we'll dig into the passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to be here this morning, uh, to gather together in your name, to sing praises to you, to pray together, to hear your word read to us. And Father, I pray now as we come and have it unpacked that you'd be speaking to all of our hearts. Father, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, it might be hard to believe, but 2023 is coming to a close in just a few short hours. Uh, It'll be just another blip in all of our history books as the years roll on and on. If you're a parent of small children at this time, uh, one of the things I have learnt about New Year's Eve, um, this is a bit of a confession, I haven't seen a New Year in, like I haven't been up till midnight in a number of years now because I really do enjoy my sleep a bit too much. And if you're like me and you don't want to stay up, I've heard that you can jump onto YouTube, download a video or play a video of a previous year's New Year's countdown, you know, make sure it's dark outside so the kids know it's kind of late. Count it down, three, two, one, Happy New Year! Off to bed. It's a great life app. Although now that I've said it, 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 we'll see if it works tonight. Uh, In all seriousness, though, the year has come to a close, or it will be very soon. Fireworks are about to go off. And I'm sure for most of us, uh, the year would have been a big mix of good and bad, of ups and downs and everything in between. Uh, For some of us, the year may have been primarily... Uh, One of, I guess, what you could call success, Uh, stories to remember, uh, advances in your life that uh, have come your way this year. For others of you, you may well be pretty keen to kiss 2023 goodbye uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Regardless, though, of how you feel about the year just gone, uh, as you think ahead, I think for many of us, we have thoughts and plans for 2024. Uh, Plans for some of us to increase our freedom, perhaps, So it might involve looking for a better paying job or a job with better conditions or for some of us, maybe even finding work full stop. For others of us, uh, it might be plans to live a better life. So plans to, I guess, join a gym and then use it once or twice. If you're really disciplined, you might go a little bit longer than that, but you want to get fitter and healthier. You might be that crazy person that decides that a half marathon is for you in 2024. And perhaps if it's not physical, maybe it's more mentally fit. So you might say, look, I'm going to read more books this year. Uh, I'm going to cover new ground. Maybe I'll learn a new skill uh, or I'll finish those studies that I've been doing. Whatever it is, our plans for the future, they often involve things which are good, uh, things which help us grow in one way or another. But we also know, just like that gym membership, how easy it is for our plans to get derailed. And sometimes these things can happen in very unexpected ways. 2024, it might be the year where a huge unexpected health issue crops up. It might be the year where all of a sudden there there are marital or other relational problems in our lives. 
where the stresses of the kids growing up demanding more and more independence puts a lot of pressure on the household or perhaps just the economic demands of next year threaten your retirement or your job security or anything in between. It can be hard to to carry on or even to make plans when life can be so full of unexpected surprises. And these surprises may leave us often in places we wished we'd never go, in situations that we'd never anticipated we'd be in, and sometimes staring down the barrel of some extraordinarily tough decisions that we never planned to have to make. And now as Christians, as we think about this, the question is, how do we deal with these sorts of situations? How do we react when confronted by another year that is potentially going to be full of pain and suffering? This is where Paul comes in. We introduce Paul in Philippians. He was no stranger to a lot of these sorts of situations, a lot of tough situations that would break many of us. Uh, As he writes Philippians, uh, he is in chains. He's locked up for the sake of Christ. And this is fairly hard to miss from today's reading because in those few short verses, three out of the four mentions of his chains appear there. Now, if this wasn't hard enough, we also find out that there are other Christian leaders, uh, perhaps ministers of other churches across Philippi. They've seen him get locked up, and for whatever reasons, they've decided to take advantage of this and stir up trouble for him. And then if that wasn't enough, it turns out that his very life is hanging in the balance too, as he stares down the barrel of a possible execution fairly soon. So Paul, he is in jail. People are slandering him, and his premature death is a very real possibility. And yet here's the clincher, that despite all of these things that would would break down many of us mere mortals in this room, Philippians, believe it or not, is a letter that is known famously for its optimism, its joy, its rejoicing. It's a bit of a strange combination, really, as Paul has had his freedom removed... His reputation has been dragged through the mud by people who I would argue should be on his side. He's probably about to lose his life, and yet he rejoices over and over and over again. And the question is, why? Why would Paul be so joyous when it seems as though everything in life is going wrong? I mean, if you talk to my wife, ask around our house, I get a headache or I get the man flu, which is a real thing. And it's kind of like, where's that will? I've got to make sure it's all updated and good to go. But you see, Paul, he's experiencing something far worse, um, at least from an Aussie perspective. I've thrown them up there. They're in your outlines as well. He's had his freedom taken away. We would hate that. He's had his reputation dragged through the mud. And I know a lot of us here personally hate that. And his life's hanging in the balance. And then he has the guts to say things like verse 18 here. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. And so we're asking, why is this? Or to put it a slightly different way, how is he able to rejoice in these circumstances? Where humanly speaking, just about everything that could go wrong for him is going wrong. Where we sitting here read this and we see loss after loss after loss. Well, the reason he's so joyous It's because for Paul, the call to costly obedience to Christ is far more satisfying than any personal comfort. You see, he views even the smallest wins for Christ with the internal significance that they actually have in reality. It's because he still wonders at the glory of God and he's still in awe of this mystery of salvation revealed to us 
in Christ. To put it in his own words from today's passage, uh, he sees reason to rejoice because the gospel is advancing, Christ is being preached, and Christ is being exalted, even through his personal loss. And so while the loss of his freedom, his reputation, and his life can be a bitter pill to swallow, as Christians, believe it or not, it is possible to be rejoicing in the gospel, even if it costs us dearly. And we can do this like Paul by keeping our confidence in the truth and the goodness of the Christian faith. Not letting that flame flicker out, not letting the old news grow old in our hearts. And so today's passage, what we're going to be doing is seeing how Paul unpacks this, how it is possible using the example of his own life. So we're going to begin by looking at Paul's freedom, starting at verse 12. Paul writes this. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And I love this. They dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. When people uh, come around to our place, uh, we have a dog, as some of you know. She's still, well, she's two, sort of a puppy. But she has this tendency to to leap up and to jump onto people. Uh, She jumps up at our guests, and we really don't want that. We we have to deal with this problem of her zeal, and we do this by chaining her up, by kind of locking her away. Now, we find out in verse 13 that Paul, he is locked away. He's literally in chains for Christ. But unlike our dog, which kind of, puts her out of sight and kind of tampers her zeal a bit, all this does is inflame Paul's zeal. Uh, It's it's ironic. It doesn't actually squash it down one iota. It's having the opposite effect for him. While, yes, he's probably chained to a wall, or I read this week that perhaps even in in those days, sometimes he'd be chained to another guard, and the guard would occasionally switch over to someone else. While it's probably cold, while the shackles are probably leaving some pretty irritating marks on his skin... Well, they probably can't even go to the toilet right, without someone going, got my eye on you, Paul. He doesn't care. Because all of a sudden, for Paul, he has a brand new spanking prison ministry at his fingertips. Right? He has new opportunities in this situation to proclaim the gospel, or to put it in his own words, the gospel is advancing. And from what we can tell, it's working. Read verse 13. He says, As a result, that's as a result of what's happened to me, being locked away, as a result, it has become clear through the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. His jail cell, in other words, has become his new pulpit. In fact, some would argue this is his new and improved pulpit because he now has a captive audience 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie The Watchman. Uh, you've got to be old enough for this one. But there's a movie called The Watchman, and there's a crazy character called Rorschach in this. And he ends up finding himself in jail. And he's in jail with those big, burly, gnarly, tattooed, riddle guys. And he's this little scrawny guy. But he has this famous saying in the movie where he says, None of you seem to understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. That's Paul. The guards, they're stuck with him as he proclaims the gospel. 
the whole palace guard probably had the gospel relentlessly preached to them time and time and time again. And in fact, I love this. If you read a bit later on in Philippians, I'll pop it up on the screen for you. Towards the end of the letter, we read, this is Paul's sign-out greeting. All of God's people here send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. It's an interesting little addition to the tail end of the letter. And we don't know exactly who these people are, but part of me likes to think that some of these jail guards that he mentions in 113 have perhaps taken the plunge for Christ. We don't know, but certainly an interesting thought. Whatever the truth is, uh, we know that Paul is not wasting a single moment in his two-year stay in prison by wallowing away in self-pity. Rather, for Paul, he joyously makes the most of it, and by God's grace, we see the gospel advancing. Now, when we think about his situation here, I think this is the appropriate time to ask, how will you make the most of your days in 2024? I know some of you over the year just gone, you're perhaps looking forward to 2024. You may feel chained to your desk at work. Others might feel chained to the endless cycle of of nappy changing and disciplining kids and so on. Others chained to just the, the, the weight of caring for many other people. And it can be really hard. But have you ever thought that, that, like Paul in his literal chains here, stuck in jail or under house arrest, that God perhaps has you exactly where he needs you to be? That he has you where he does in order to advance the gospel? So for you parents of young kids out there, uh, we praise God that that base is growing here at KPC. God has exactly you exactly where he needs you to be. Because God wants you to raise little disciples in the Lord. He wants you to prioritise reading with them, praying with them, teaching your kids about the Lord Jesus and the joy that's to be found in him. And to do this with a conviction and a passion. For others, God might have you stuck in that cubicle at work or stuck on that work site in order to reach those in your workplace in which you might be the only Christian in that entire space. You might be the only one with a swipe card or a pass or whatever it is to get you into that particular area to rub shoulders with those people full time. Have you ever considered that God might be using you in your unique situation, in the chains that you find yourself in, in order to advance the gospel, even to one other person? So that's the first point, where Paul has had his freedom denied, literally in chains. He rejoices as he sees God at work and the gospel being advanced. Where we, humanly speaking, see loss after loss, God actually has this situation in hand and he's using it to advance the gospel. Secondly, verses 15 to 18, we see how Paul's reputation doesn't matter to him either. That despite some pretty nasty characters out there, he doesn't mind copying some bad press from those who, I guess, want to cause him trouble while he's locked away. If by him copying that, it means that that Christ is still being preached. So verse 15. It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, this is a bit of a weird one. I'm sure when you heard the reading this morning, you were like, what is Paul talking about here? Is, is he tolerating kind of a broader teaching? Like, what, what's happening? Now, we're not told who these preachers are. Uh, we're not told what they were teaching. The text doesn't actually tell us. But I suspect that many of these would have been Philippian ministers uh, who may have been overshadowed, perhaps, by Paul's ministry coming in. It's just a guess. But what's happened is they've seen Paul land in jail, and I think they've gone, gee, look at this goose. You know, if he just kept his mouth shut a little bit, just held back a bit of his zeal, he, he, he wouldn't have made us all look bad. Like, look at this guy. If he just had more tact, he would have still been fine, but look at him now. Now, as I said, we don't know who these people are, but I do feel the need to stress one particular point. That just because they didn't like Paul, just because there's maybe a rivalry between Paul and them, it doesn't mean that these aren't Christians. In fact, it's worth noting that Paul, he's not taking offence at the content of their teaching here. In fact, he seems fairly fine with it. From what we can tell, he is talking about genuine believers, even if they do have some heart issues that they need to work on. Now, why am I so confident in that assessment? Well, it's because if you know Paul, you know that he never, ever, ever tolerates even a smidgen of false teaching. He wouldn't be seen in a thousand years rejoicing in a gospel that had been twisted or distorted in any way. In fact, if you were to flick back to the previous letter in Galatians, Paul, he sticks his neck above the parapet and he says in chapter 1, look, even if I were an angel, right, a heavenly being, were to come out of heaven and preach a gospel other than the one that has been originally handed down, they're to be cursed by God. This is how seriously Paul takes the gospel. And this is a far cry from what Paul is saying about these teachers here in Philippians 1. In fact, he rejoices that Christ is preached, even if the reality is that these preachers had some work to do on their own hearts. Work to do on their, their motives, as he says in verse 18. You see, Paul is not rejoicing in a church teaching a skewed version of Jesus. He's not rejoicing in a skewed version of salvation. He would never do that. Rather, he rejoices because despite these preachers wanting to stir up trouble for him while he's in jail, they seem to be, from what we can tell, preaching the core elements of the gospel faithfully. I think the best sort of illustration I can give to this is it's kind of like our denominations. Right there, there will be non-essentials around the fringes that we might argue over. But whether you go to different evangelical churches around the place, the essentials are the same. The core teaching that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all remains the same. And for this, we should rejoice. In fact, even within the walls here of KPC, dare I say, we, we sometimes still disagree on fringe things. We might argue over style or some bits of doctrine over here and there. We might disagree over certain bits of substance. We might come from other church backgrounds even, or from a church that operates its program in an entirely different way to the way that we do here. And yet from what we see in Philippians, this is a call to unite behind what actually draws us 
together. And in love, for the sake of the gospel, perhaps push some of those other things that are weighing you down to the side. There's a call, for example, uh, here's some concrete examples, to, to commit yourself next year perhaps to a growth group. Even if you don't feel like you're going to get along with everyone in that group, the fact that you can go and commit yourself to it and see and rejoice in Christ is amazing. This is a call next year uh, to commit to give generously to the church, even if you may not agree with every aspect of where every penny is being spent. This is a call to love and to serve KPC in any way that you can and to rejoice when you see the gospel advancing, even if it's not how you would have done it yourself. You see, Paul and these other preachers, they they clearly don't agree on everything. But what Paul sees is that the gospel itself is being preached. And because of that, despite all else, despite even his reputation being dragged through the mud, he rejoices. Because Paul realises that the gospel, it is far, far bigger than our opinions and our reputation. Well, so far, we've seen two things. We've seen how Paul's situation in chains has actually served to advance the gospel. We've seen how he celebrates Christ being preached, even if it means copping one on the chin from time to time. Finally, we're going to be looking at Paul's life, or should I say death, and see how this is something which matters less to him than Christ being exalted. Picking up from verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I'm just going to stop there for one moment. Have a look at what's on screen. Let me read this again. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for through your prayers, these powerful prayers, and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That's a victorious statement, isn't it? You read that and, and you're almost filled with optimism. You read this and you think, you'd be forgiven for thinking that, that Paul, he's fairly certain that the chips are actually going to fall his way. You know, he'll be freed from jail. The judge and jury will perhaps look on him with some sort of divine favour. Uh, perhaps they'll just let him go with a slap on the wrist. And guess what? Paul can, can depart with this kind of measly little prison ministry here and go off ministering to the church like he was doing beforehand. Be amazing if he did. In fact, I think this is how often, very often, how we think when it comes to our deliverance. Right? If we just pray to God with a sincere enough faith, or if we put enough trust in Him with a sincere heart, if we pray with full faith, maybe with tears and earnestness, and let the Spirit do its work, then He'll grant me freedom from pain. Freedom from suffering and perhaps as we look to 2024, a good and prosperous year ahead. At the very least, we, we, we think that if we just pray hard enough and are sincere enough in our faith, that we'll have a slightly easier path through life. And I mean, look at the Gospels, we see Jesus healing people, casting out demons, raising the dead. He certainly seems to be in the business of doing this for people. So what's going on? Well, I want to say, no doubt, God can do all of these things. But in the Bible, God never promises that being a Christian will lead to an easy path through life. In fact, more often than not, the evidence is quite the opposite. 
And I think in today's passage, the proof is in the pudding right here. I mean, let's throw success on the table and let's look at how successful this great Apostle Paul is right now. He's in jail with all the creature comforts that come with that. He's being slandered by people. That's the worst one for me. I would hate that. And, And now he's staring down the barrel of an execution for his allegiance to Christ. And so when Paul starts thinking, uh, thanking sorry, the Philippians for their prayers, when he starts talking about God's provision to him, you'd be forgiven for thinking that his deliverance is one which will reverse all of these things. Now, be forgiven for thinking this. If, if I open the Cambridge Dictionary, which I did earlier this week, it defines deliverance as this. It says, deliverance is the state of being saved from a painful or bad experience. Is that what Paul's talking about? Let's read verse 20. Let's find out what Paul's definition of his deliverance is. This is Paul's deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. His deliverance is not that he will be saved from his present suffering. His deliverance is not that he'll be given some divine protection from pain and the struggles of his situation. Rather, his deliverance is that despite all of these things, Christ would be exalted through him. That Jesus would be known, whatever the cost to him personally. When was the last time we could say that about ourselves? Let me put it in a slightly different way. When was the last time that that we were so captured by the glory of God and the truth of the gospel that it led us into genuine joy and into costly obedience for him? Or, kind of like... Myself and many of us in this room, are we too concerned about our comfort? Are we too concerned about our reputation? Concerned about what others might think of us if we bring up awkward topics of conversation like Jesus as the Saviour? Are we too concerned about preserving our own life? Fearing that if we don't kind of kowtow to the world's priorities, then we'll be socially crucified excluded from polite society because of this gospel that is so contrary to the things of the world. Well, like Paul, do we consider our deliverance as having the courage now more than ever to exalt Christ? When was the last time we considered life or to live or to really be alive about being all about Jesus? So tonight, as we pop the champagne, celebrate the year just gone, as we speed on 2024, I want to use this moment to to encourage us to reconsider what it means to live for Jesus. I thought I'd finish uh, by quoting a few lines from a book that Annie and myself started reading this week. Uh, It's a book called The Thrill of Orthodoxy. It's a funny title, almost seems like an antonym there. The subtitle is Rediscovering the Adventure of Christian Faith. And in his book, uh, the author writes this. 
He says, in every generation, we face the danger of longing for the past while fearing the future. And this mix of nostalgia and fear leads us into a state of complacency, a missionless faith. We file in and out of the sanctuary week after week, content to recite the same words with our lips, but our hearts remain unstirred by the truths we confess, and we are less likely to invite others to believe the good news. But this is the adventure. To bind our hearts to something ancient and enduring. With faith that the faith will outlast all fads and all fashions. We're not digging in. We're digging down to the bedrock of our faith so we can stand. The church, it marches on not because we are faithful in every respect. We haven't been and we won't be. But because Jesus himself is faithful. He promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so, shaking off our spiritual slumber, we join hands with millions of others across space and time, saying with boldness and confidence, this I believe. As we consider 2024, let's dig down into the faith handed down to us by many. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, as we approach 2024, please help us by your spirit to be excited by Christ once again. Father, help us to give him his rightful place in our hearts and in our families. Help us to recapture that original zeal we perhaps once had when we first believed and understood. Father, give us a spirit of excitement and adventure for the Christian faith. Like Paul, Lord, help us to see Jesus as more exciting than our freedom, more important than our reputation and even our lives. And help us to understand how to apply this in each of our circumstances. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.